Live from the home office of Ag Solutions Network, it's the Ag Emerge Podcast. We're here to move the ag paradigm forward by helping you regenerate your soils using new ideas, research, and emerging technologies. Get ready to improve your soils, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm Kim Sheese. And I'm Monty Bottoms. And we're your hosts. Thanks for joining us. Well, hello and welcome to this edition of the Ag Emerge podcast. We're excited to be talking about some of the things that are current that are going on in the industry right now and looking at practices and things that we can be putting into practice as we address what's happening in the soil health movement. So, Moni, thank you for being here today. It's You've been on the road quite a bit. Maybe you want to tell us a little bit about um, what you've been up to here these last few weeks as we have kind of haven't been able to see one another. So we'd love to even get updated on that. Well, uh, Kim, it's good to be here. And it's interesting because there was a hashtag created this year. Normally every year we have a hashtag on Twitter that's uh, hashtag plant19, you know, hashtag harvest19. This year is known as the hashtag no plant 19. So uh, this has been a spring that's been uh, everybody uh, sitting and waiting to go, waiting to go, waiting to go. And at the last minute, it looked like a lot of people were going to have to go prevent plant. And then it turned from early spring weather, 55, 60 degrees here in the Midwest with rain about every day, to 80, 85 degrees and wind blowing and three days later it's everybody is off to the races so we started planting corn again Uh, we planted our first corn on april 26th we planted again on june 2nd and we were able to get it all in i believe by the 6th or 7th so it was a lot of long hours and a lot of um, coordination the team was ready to go everything was prepared because we obviously had the time to do it But when we could roll, we did, and I think it's going to be phenomenal to see some of the reports of how quickly some areas got crop planted this year because there was was lights on in every direction you could see at our farm in Illinois. Now, fortunately, to the west, Iowa got planted a little bit better. Kansas, Nebraska got planted uh, pretty good. South Dakota's been behind North Dakota, Minnesota. And in Indiana, Ohio, it, it's, it's bad over there. But uh, that's a Corn Belt type of issues. It's been interesting this year. We've got pretty much great water everywhere w- where we work with people in the western states. California's at 200% snowpack, but, of course, the state water project's only given them a 65%, 70% water allocation. That's another frustrating story. But um, we've got good groundwater uh, in western Kansas in the dryland areas. A friend of mine, uh, one of our members, is he has a six-foot rod and he was able to push it in all the way to the handle. First time he can remember doing that, I believe over 20 years. So that's fantastic. Montana was interesting this year because they would uh, they would seed today and snow tomorrow and then they'd seed again the next day. So that's mm-hmm. been kind of their story up there, yeah. fighting a lot of moisture and snow. But it's been challenging and it's, and it's required a lot of uh, resilience on part of farmers, not only from the weather really beating us up, but also commodity prices. There's concerns with, you know, excess carryout in, in uh, corn and then uh, trade issues in regards to soybeans and almonds and other export-type crops that we have. 
that's that's been a challenge so commodity prices have been challenging um farmers have dealt with a lot this year they they really have dealt with a lot both emotionally and in field prep work so i really feel and 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 especially in our dairy farmers too um going through another crisis like 2009 there's just a some a myriad of issues all hitting at once and farmers are amazing how they can how they can handle all that and 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 still go out and do the work and and get it done I think it's one thing that a lot of people could take a lesson from in when you say resilience, that when you just kind of get hammered and hammered, but you see people out there getting excited about when they did get in the field on Facebook, you'd see a lot of images of guys rolling in the dark, lights on, and families coming around them, and you know everything that everyone does to, to make that planting happen. And and that includes all the people that are the support people for all of that too, because it weighs heavy on everyone. So a lot of late night meals in the fields and things like that, but we're excited to see some things getting planted and and moving in the right direction. So had a good visit yesterday with um, uh, Mike Shooter, who was one of our speakers at Aggie Merge last year. And he was kind of sad because he's had a field that's been 35 years organic no-till and with the uh, he's in Indiana and with the weather that they've had he actually had to take out a field cultivator and run it for the first time ever because the weeds were just so out of control he could not do anything else so he was saddened by that but I um, I was able to offer a little hope for him by saying okay you were able to do it for 35 years and and this Mm -hmm. is a one-time event and you've you've built a system that's really resilient to be able to do no-till organic production for 35 years. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, that's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's the other thing I told him was too is that we can look at this year in two ways. We can look at this year as in oh the weather's terrible, oh the prices are terrible, oh woe is me. None of those things we can control. Okay, we're we're not the market and we're not God. So uh, we have to do what we can do. And I look at this as an ultimate test of our systems. So how good is our soil at handling runoff and absorption and infiltration and balancing? You know, How good is our system at being able to go back into the field after rain events? How good are our cover crops performing? Mm-hmm. How, how have we marketed? How have we set ourselves up? Have we diversified uh, more than just a couple crops that we might be working with to where we have multiple revenue streams that gives us some diversification? So every problem typically affects everybody the same, whether it be weather or markets or those kind of things. It's you and me as farmers. How do we choose to respond to that problem or how have we chosen in the past to be prepared for those problems? So as an example, I notice a lot in, in Illinois here where we have you know excessive rainfall. We've had about a year's worth of rain already here in, in the first part of May, I think. And you just notice you know around the edges of, of waterways and ponds and those kind of things, the grass is just green as a gourd. Well reason for that is is nitrogen runoff 
upstream somewhere from that uh, water source. What does that mean? If that grass is green there, it's not in the field where it was supposed to be. So it's a cost to the farmer in the fact that they applied nutrients that's not going to support his crop. And it's a cost to the environment because now we've created the downstream pollution, you know, all the way to the Gulf and the hypoxia situation. So it really reminded me this year by what we advocate for all of our growers to do and help them get set up to do it is the first pass in the field is the first time nutrients are applied to that field for this crop season. And that gave us, if we had to do a prevent plant situation, that's an amazing advantage because we don't have $100, $200 an acre in fertilizer out there ready to go. Uh, it's, it's in our checking account. It's in the tank. It'll save till next year. The other thing is by having cover crops in place, which we advocate and help growers uh, pick and choose and apply and, and work alongside them to find the cover crops that are right for their area, those cover crops are able to capture and retain any naturally occurring residual residual fertilizers either from over-application of previous year or naturally mineralizing nutrients uh, from microbial activity, capture that and store that in that field versus it sending it off-site. So, you know, those two things right there, looking at cover crops and our advanced nutrition techniques by putting on the nutrients exactly when they're needed, even in California on almond trees, where typically a lot is put out in the fall, with the heavy rains that they had this year and even rains in the spring, you're looking at risk of loss, both from volatilization because we've, we've turned the soil uh, lack of oxygen to leaching in, in some areas. Uh, so, you know, what we're trying to do to help farmers um, is not only helping them, but helping all of the other uh, people interested in uh, the ecosystem services we can provide as farmers. We're providing them every day. They're either positive ecosystem services or they're negative ecosystem services, but we do provide them every day with every decision that we make. So, you know, I started this with saying that this has been a real test mm -hmm. of the resilience and the efficiency of our systems. And while we don't want to deal with this every year, right. it has certainly pointed out the benefits of cover crops, the benefits of, of you know, first, you know, at planting nutrition. Um, that is just proven to be we're doing the right thing and we're recommending the right things for the right reasons. And lo and behold, it uh, just de-risks farming. I think there's, there's more than enough risk in farming as it is. Uh, why do we want to, with our management methods, introduce more risk than what we need to? Mm -hmm. It's just, it, all of those things kind of came to fruition in one season, watching those things happen. And what was, uh, were there some aha moments as you were kind of watching some of these things happen when you were seeing where you had cover crops in the field? Were there some things that really popped out to you that, that you wouldn't have maybe been able to observe had we not had this situation? Well, this will take the balance of an hour of the podcast, which okay. you just said. But, All right. <laughs> um, I'm just well, that's exciting, joking with though. you here. Let's so one of the things that uh, stands out the, on the top of my mind is a video that I took just driving by a field. It was raining again. And I was driving by our field. They're both flat ground, both uh, 51A Muscatoon soils, you know, 
primo soil for Western Illinois. And I took this video out of my truck with ours with cover crops, and I panned across the road to the neighbor that was um, soybean stubble that they would field cultivate and plant into. Had not done that operation yet. But you could just see the water standing on there. And I posted that on uh, social media, Facebook. And it got picked up and reshared countless times. And for me, uh, this is probably a, it's a sniffle, not viral, but it wound up getting uh, 40,000 views, just people seeing the differences side by side. And we'll, we'll share that. We can probably add a link in the podcast sure. there to share that video so people can see that. But I found that just a real visual example. And also the fact that in, in our, our draws and our waterways on the farm, we did not see much erosion. We still had some. But that was interesting. We also do a lot of test and trial work at our farm with advanced products, advanced production practices. We had a uh, replicated uh, seven-rep strip-till project this year, both corn on beans and corn on corn. And this really put it to the test to see on you know highly erodible land what the effect of strip-till would be in the spring. And we've done this because for a long time we've, you know, wondered about strip till and, and those advantages. So we saw some, some things that would be, we cannot do it like that. Uh, we have to be prepared for a year like this. There was excessive sheeting erosion that I saw in the strips. Not real. I was worried about the real erosion, you know, washing a strip out. But what I saw was more sheeting down hillsides and, and sealing over. So I think in this rainfall environment, you know, we need to be looking at sticking with no-till or possibly seeding oats with the strip tiller as we strip till in that band. So we got a little something to hold it in place. But, um, you know, that's interesting. I think in other areas in the West where we're working with strip till, that's, that's not an issue. But here where we don't have control of the, of the rainfall and the timing, we need to be better prepared for that. So that was interesting to see. So the third thing that was fascinating is with, um, what I affectionately term project Moo. That's mm -hmm. our uh, principle five integrating livestock uh, long-term experiment here at our farm is one would think that with all that rain and muck that we had and putting cows on cover crops on a field that was soybeans last year, right. going to corn this year, that that would be absolutely horrific. But... Um, Cole and JR at the farm did a, a good job of managing their moves. Uh, we gave them 15 acres a day and rotated them around this farm. We intended on being on that farm for two weeks, pre-corn pre plant. Mm -hmm. They wound up being there 55 days. Wow. And we made three rotations around this 160 acres, kept the water moving, kept the shades moving, kept the paddock, you know, fence lines and sizes changing. Right. And... Uh, then we came and no-till planted straight into it after they'd been on their three rotations, 55 days. Mm -hmm. uh, downforce did take more, no doubt, because mm -hmm. uh, the way that we're doing our cover crops is we plant three rows on seven and a half inch, leave a skip row, right. plant three rows. And the cows like that skip row. So them turkeys, they walk right down that skip row and eat on both sides. Oh, okay. They use them as little alleyways. Path so of least resistance. Yes. So uh, that's a system change we realize we okay. need to do when All we're going right. to graze cattle. We maybe need to look at a solid seated configuration so they're not walking down right where we're going to put the uh, corn row mm -hmm. next year. So there you go. You learned that. But um, 
even with all that, our downforce settings were heavier on our planter, mm-hmm. but it planted fine. Um, we're, we'll see, you know, verdict is yet sure. to be out there. But one thing's for sure that we learned out of that is most of our cover crops are cereal rye and other cereal grains mm-hmm. that survive the winter. They are anywhere from waist high to shoulder high. Mm. And where the cattle grazed and went around three times, you know, we got a very manageable six to maybe 12 inch tall sure. cover crop. No big deal. Uh, our other fields, we're, we're rolling right now to knock it down so we don't have light interference. Where this one, we won't have to do that so management technique. So you had four-footed hooved uh, crimping or... Uh, <laughs> yeah, we had we had mooing roller crimpers <laughs> or stepper crimper, crimpers, eaters, um, like uh, forage processors. And, so, and uh, manure spreader at manure the same spreader. time, right? You know, some people joke and say, wow, that grass-fed, that's a lot of, that's a lot of work doing all that every day. And it's like, yep. And it's it's a lot of work to cut it, swath it, rake it, chop it, bale it, haul it, pile it, unload it, load it, feed it, you know, put the line out, get the manure, load it, haul it, spread it, and make sure uh, good luck getting the hay done this year at mm-hmm. the proper time. You know, we were quote unquote haying by grazing cattle, right. and nobody else could, mm-hmm. you know, so... Mm-hmm. That was our, and we were spreading manure, you know, and nobody else could. So there's, oftentimes we look at what we're currently doing and thinking something else different is nuts. The reality is, is that we don't look at how nuts uh, what we're currently doing is. You know, sometimes we need to take a hard look at what we do every day and accept as normal and just say, how crazy is this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And realize that, oh, there's a certain amount of crazy factors in the way we're currently doing it. You know, it's like, wow, look at all that equipment it takes. And wow, look at all that, you know, various labor and, and, and those kind of things. And just really do a hard evaluation mm-hmm. of what we're doing. Forget about what the neighbor thinks, because uh, we have a long time ago, they just think we're crazy and that's fine. But uh, at least if they're talking about us, I always say they're leaving someone else alone. But um, it's been, that was fascinating to see that. And we got some of the gains back. We weighed the group when we put them in on April 7th. We weighed them again when we took them out on uh, June 2nd. And uh, Robin did a couple preliminaries. We we haven't done the whole group on the cows and everything, Mm -hmm. but some of the second... uh, Coming two steers were gaining three and a half pounds per day mm-hmm. yeah. on cereal rye. So it wasn't right. really a fancy. There was some hairy vetch, some pea, very minimal, but mostly cereal rye survived our polar vortex winter. Nice. Uh, and so I thought that was pretty reasonable. Uh, we walked them across uh, one of our fields to another, and that was the field that we designed for early sp- spring grazing, Amazing. which... Mm-hmm. Early spring grazing started on June 2nd this year instead of uh, <laughs> May 2nd or August or April 25th. And um, we rotated around there, uh, kind of hitting it lightly um, before we have to get out for the beans to be planted. Mm-hmm. And we just took two steers in uh, to get processed in that nine day period of time. One gained 7.2, one gained 7.6 pounds. Mm. So uh, wish it would have had a longer time frame to see, sure. you know, but uh, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, cut it in half and it's still impressive. Yeah, right. So um, it can be done, you know, good management, uh, good soil health, mm-hmm. all these kind of things can really work together uh, 
to, to really change how things perform. So, I mean, there are some of the things that have stood out to me, and there's, I'm sure there's others that I'm, I'm forgetting about, but this spring has really been a test of the will, really been a test of uh, perseverance, and it's really been a test of our soil systems, yes. uh, of uh, cover crop systems, uh, soil health systems, and, and livestock management. But I'm, I'm, I'm happy for it. Uh, because it, it it really pushed the envelope on the wet side of what we can do. I'm not going to ask or pray for a drought by any means to, yeah, <laughs> to test the, yeah, the <laughs> dry side. side of what we can do, but I'm sure we'll get it someday. So we have to be ready for the antithesis of this year mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. just think through your systems what would happen in, in, in that scenario. I think too often we're, we're set up for the norm, you know, for the average, we, right. we farm for the average, and every farmer will tell you it never is an average year. So why are we designing our systems for the average? We need to design our systems for the second or third deviation from the mean. Mm-hmm. You know, can we handle the extraordinarily cool, the extraordinarily wet, the extraordinarily hot, the extraordinarily dry? And if we can handle all that and in between, I think, um, you know, if we have the, the perfect year where everything's hitting... Um, my goal isn't to make sure that I've got the top coffee shop, you know, 350 bushel corn on the, on the right. absolutely perfect year. I look at the 20-year horizon, right. and maybe I didn't hit the perfect year right, but boy, in a year like this, we can hold it together. Right. And, and, and you, that's how a farm is. It's, it's, a, it's a generational approach. It's not an annual. It's not a decade. It's what you do this lifetime with with your with your farm right so right I, I it makes me think along so many different lines like for example if you've had the i know monty has read it and we've heard it in person but gabe brown's book on dirt to soil the uh, this is a spoiler alert but gabe had four years of hail that no one else in his area had mm-hmm. and each year it made him have to rethink and redesign, and it's really what spurred him into this uh, regenerative ag um, process. And and so you think about that, and and then it makes me think about crop planning. We talk a lot about crop planning here, and um, you know that you have a plan. Um, and then what do you do when the plan gets shot all heck? You know mm-hmm. what what. What options do you have? And that's a, a lot of what you're talking about is not planning just for that perfect year, but for that span of years and what you can do. So uh, what do you do when your crop plan gets uh, all boogered up? <laughs> well, um, you mentioned Gabe there and, and what he's doing with the you know the four bad years that he had in a row. And I saw uh, this morning, I'm a part of a group uh, a cover crop or regenerative ag group. I don't mm-hmm. know, I'm part of mm-hmm. 50 of them. But he had posted a comment on there, and somebody said, what are you most thankful for with cover crops? Mm-hmm. And he said, I was I was blessed by God to have had three years of hail and one year of drought mm-hmm. in order to completely change the way that I farm. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure in that moment, 25, 30 years ago, he wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, Oh, thank you, God, for (laughs) hailing out my crop for the third year in a row and then sending me a drought. I'm sure that probably wasn't maybe the conversation that was going on in his prayer life. But, you know, it it takes time 
to see what God's plan is and, and how that comes together. And now he can see back to the wisdom of, of that and what it ca- forced him. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't sometimes uh, we don't do things until we have to, right? right? And uh, he had to do something. And when he did it, now he did it, he proved it, and now he's helping others do it, hopefully, mm-hmm. before they have to. And that's what we're about, is we're trying to help farmers uh, transition to better nutrient stewardship, better soil stewardship, and and a different way of thinking about their farm in a complete beginning-to-end thought process to where they are better equipped to be more resilient in times of bad prices, times of bad weather, times of bad water, plus or minus, right? Mm -hmm. So... Uh, that's that's what we're all about. I mean, we're looking at these regenerative ag principles, and we're we're not saying, hey, stop your fertilizer, everything today, right. cold turkey. Right. No, no, we don't want you to to suffer like right. that. Right. Do we want to help you reduce? Do we want to help you look for ways to eliminate, you know, pesticides? Do we want to reduce and or eliminate fertilizers? Absolutely, to the most economical sense possible. But there has to be a plan a long-term plan of where you want to get to. Now, will that plan, as you were saying, Kim, will that interfere with time to time, get curveballs thrown our way? Absolutely. So I think we spent more time this year talking to various people in locations about what do we do, what's 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 a change, you know, and at the farm we spent, I think we spent more time trying to figure out what prevent plant is, what our acre shift should be, how would we integrate cattle, what would the cover cropping look like, and, and can we get benefit out of November 1 graze things and and all those kind of scenarios. And then the weather changes at the last second, right. and we're basically back on plan. So uh, there was a plan B, C, D, E, and F right. in there in between time, but fortunately we've gone back to, to plan A. Um, the only thing that will deviate with, from our plan is maybe some of the weed uh, control issues. We'll have to take a look at that um, because we're we're definitely going to be playing catch up on mm-hmm. on, on some of those things. Mm-hmm. But I'm not I'm not scared about it. Uh, there's some jungles in neighboring fields, that's for sure. But um, it's interesting to see uh, you you have a, a goal in mind of where you want to be and uh, the tactical day-to-day can shift, you know, mm-hmm. depending on conditions, but you're still aiming at that, at that goal of where you want to be in the future. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's exciting. Uh, uh, last week I was watching um, one of Jason Mauck's Twitter feeds or he was, he was live broadcasting and, and he was just talking about some of the things that, that he was doing, and I know you're going to be out there speaking at, at his event um, on the 21st, and it it got me to thinking about as we as we transition and we shift and we try all these different things. Jason's got companion cropping going on. I saw John Hearman go live the other day, and he's harvesting two crops at a time and using a seed separator. What are some of those exciting things that people are going to be doing because of of these new ideas and, and methods that are really out of the box of what we have normally seen? Well, I think in regards to this year, there could have been some plans of, of things to do that got scuttled because mm-hmm. it's like, hey, we got to go. Right. I mean, we had some uh, 
you know, non-GMO corn hybrid plots we were going to do that just we could not afford to stop. And, and a few other things. We did get our strip-till trial in and planted. We were, were moving along those lines. But I think when you're looking, I think you're asking about what do you see some of the trends going on with companion cropping or, or intercropping and, and those kind of things. I see opportunities there to essentially, especially with the wheat bean approach that Jason's doing, mm-hmm. is you're taking a cost center of cover cropping for no harvested value, turning it to wheat where you can harvest it for some value and get the cover crop benefits still. And from what he's seen preliminarily for one or two years, an improvement in bean yields by having that companion cropping approach. So we did that this year on our own farm where we did three rows of wheat, skipped, planted beans. They're growing right now. They're happy. We'll see if we can figure out how to harvest it. <laughs> it it's in the field. Uh, it's not in the tank. We'll we'll get the wheat out of it at least. I don't know if we'll get the beans, but uh, we'll we'll try to figure that out. We've we've got at least uh, you know three weeks to figure that out. Yeah. And um, anyway, we um, you know trying that. I think intercropping and interseeding of cover crops is is an opportunity too, where you can have something growing. When you harvest, especially in a year like this year, the harvest is going to be late, so there'll be very minimal uh, application. Our trouble is just simple time resources. Now the growing season is so compressed to get everything done, it'll be a real challenge. Mm -hmm. So we're not out of the woods yet by any mean, but it does feel better being a farmer versus a prevent plant check receiver. I will say that. Right. Uh, There was a week there, it just... I just said, I just want to farm, you know. I, I think I was here when you said it. There <laughs> yeah. may, might have been alternate words. Yeah, there was, sure. there, was, there was alternate it words. Was, I'm sorry, Kim. No. But uh, it was a point of frustration where it's like, you know, what? We're, we're farmers. We want to grow something. You know? Yeah. So yeah. Um, it, it's And it's we heard good that to, across the nation, that that guy, that every, all the farmers were, we, we are not looking for assistance. We want to be working. Mm-hmm. We want to be farming. And, and uh that's why it's such a great, it's just such a great place to be because there's such a passion. And we incorporated uh, pasture poultry this year as part of our mm-hmm. farmer to consumer mm-hmm. Grateful Graze business. And that occupied a lot of time. And we're pretty lucky we didn't, we way underestimated the time requirements to build the infrastructure and mm-hmm. everything to make that happen. Mm-hmm. So we had the farm team was the assistant chicken team yes and uh we we because it rained so much we actually they had time we had a big enough shop (laughs) that we built a a 20 by 36 uh green mobile greenhouse essentially inside the shop out of the rain got that built and then hauled it down the road to the field where the where the chickens were going to be and so you know built the movement device built pressurized water all these kind of things from scratch and and it's working, so we're. we're That's exciting. Uh, I'm thankful for in a way for the rain for that. Otherwise, uh, yes. that would have been quite a quite an episode. Uh, way underestimated the, the requirements of that. Right, right, yeah. So anyway, it's it, it's a challenging year. We're not out of the woods yet, but it's fascinating to see uh, how you can adapt and change on the fly. And every farmer does this. I mean, right. it's 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 fascinating to see how many different things that farmers have to be good at in order to be successful and how adaptive they have to be 
to make this make this work. It's it's really fascinating. I agree 100%. I always say that farmers are somebody who wears about 13 to 25 hats and uh, there aren't many folks who can do that and and move pretty smoothly from one to the other. But I think that one of the things that's key is that as some of these things are some of these practices are are growing and people are understanding what to do. I love to see uh, the camaraderie and the exchange of information that's going on. People aren't uh, living in that proverbial silo of just what's going on in their spot. Everybody is really sharing information, both successes and I think more importantly, failures. So people can say, yeah, I tried that. It didn't work. This is why I think it didn't work here. These were the scenarios or situations. And I think that's exciting because we need to have this live experiment we have going on here be shared so that we can all benefit from those examples, I guess. And I think it's important to realize the difference between conceptual Mm. um, and practical application. And a lot of the things that that you see on social media, YouTube, and those kind of things are are largely practical application or or the practices. Mm -hmm. And so all, you know, knowledge is universal, application is local. And I think that there's a there's an abundance of the local application and the local context and and those kind of things and that's great but uh, the professional farmers we get to work with are they they don't have time to wade through all that don't don't want to have to figure out is this apply to me or not mm-hmm. and that's that's a pain point trying to discern between what's real that can be applied and what is conceptual that I could take and and apply to to our, our thing and I, sure. to our operation. And since this is the Aggie Merge podcast, to talk a little bit about what Aggie Merge is, is the, the thought behind that was to create an immersive experience where a farmer you know, can interact with entrepreneurs and thought leaders to come and really talk big picture. Right. What does it mean for soil health, animal health, plant health, human health? What does it mean for where technology is going with automation, robotics, machine learning, artificial intelligence, sensory images, you know, or VR, AR, uh, all the different types of, of technologies that are, that are coming up and how will this all come together? So we, we throw these people all together and we're all together in a room mm-hmm. and each one of us are specialists talking to like us farmers that have to be, you know, specialists at everything or right. a, 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 a consummate generalist, and it's an opportunity to figure out what those those concepts are, right? So right. we get good, vetted information on solid concepts that are trends and scientific studies and uh, research and all those things that are that we can that we can put our hands on that are true. Then we have to do the application, and that's where an Ag Solutions Network member helps with a farmer to make his own personal application, mm-hmm. or you can look to other people in your area or Twitterverse or social media for maybe what your ultimate local application is. But the base knowledge and, and where we're going in agriculture and what science and new technology trends are, 
that's the purpose of Ag Emerge is to equip people with that background understanding so then when they have that and how that all interacts with each other, then they can come to their own farm and work with a guide to help them put that to application on their farm. Mm -hmm. So then they understand that, oh, by not having the nutrients out there, we didn't lose them. Oh, by having the ground covered all the time with residues, we did not erode, it did not blow, it did not overheat. Oh, by having cover crops and something, a living root growing all the time, we're feeding the biology all the time. Oh, by integrating livestock, we can make even greater gains in soil health, quality, and parameters, and additional revenue sources. Mm -hmm. And oh, by diversifying our operation by planting more different species and having more animal species, we're improving the overall microbiome of our field, which translates into the plants, animals, and people. So... It, Ag Emerge provides that opportunity for the big picture and a why for a person to adopt the practices for that big picture. Mm -hmm. Then we can come alongside of you on your own individual farm basis and realize where do you want to go? Let's do it and transition to where you want to be over the next 10 years in a profitable way because, you know, the ultimate definition of sustainability is profitability. Mm -hmm. How do we get to where you want to go profitably so that you can not only improve your livelihood, but you want to, every farmer I know wants to leave things better than what they found them sure. and leave it better for the next generation. Right. So, you know, that, that's the concept behind, behind these things and why we're doing what we're doing and the uh, time and uh, talent and treasure that we're pouring into Ag Emerge is in order to bring vetted regenerative agriculture concepts and their implications combined with emerging technologies and how those two can be used together to be able to move the ag paradigm forward. Mm -hmm. It's exciting. And, and everyone that we've talked with that was there last year and got to experience our inaugural event those key things that you mentioned are all things that people brought up that and that they were able to really engage in conversations with one another and and challenge one another to go and practice some of these things or try to figure out how to adopt what they've learned. And I think that's really key. When you go to a conference and you just kind of absorb some things, if there's no application, then you just had a nice meal and a night in a hotel kind of thing. Whereas with application, you've really benefited from what you learned. And so I think that's really key. And those of you that are a part of the Ag Emerge community, that's a way to revisit what was said at the Ag Emerge addresses and at the Ag Emerge sessions to revisit what speakers had to say. Because I guarantee you, if you listen to that again, you'll pick up new things that you didn't hear the first time, let alone what you forgot. Mm -hmm, <coughs> anyway, for sure. but uh, that, you know, log on, check that out and, and see those things and, and revisit and, and constantly challenge yourself to do different, do better. And those kind of things. That's what this. That's what this platform is for. Is it's for you uh, mm -hmm. to try and um, learn the emerging trends, learn the concepts, and and apply it in the best way possible. Yeah. Well, I am. I'm hopeful for what the rest of the season brings. I'm excited to see what what else we will learn 
the season as it progresses, mm-hmm. what challenges or changes we will make in operations based off of what we learned this spring. I know that, like you said, in some regards, we went back to plan A, but I have a feeling plan A is going to come out a little bit different than you might have expected. And, and I'm not necessarily thinking it, it will be bad. It's just be interesting to to see what's going on. But I'm looking forward to um, what that what that brings. So yeah, it'll be an interesting year. I think there's there's still risks, you know, for for a dairy producer. Not good news. I think there's some significant potential for upside prices mm-hmm. for the corn farmer. Good for dairy farmer, not so good. But I think a lot of corn and some very in many acres of prime production area went in at less than ideal conditions. Mm-hmm. If there's a stronger way to say that, there should be. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something that you deal with all year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, timely rains and the heat units to get it to harvest are going to be required. Okay. So highly, highly, highly unlikely to have good yields this year. It's a very strong possibility to be below trend line yield Mm -hmm. and a significant number of acres not planted. Mm -hmm. So I think there's going to be some pressure on that. When we get to soybeans, I think probably be downward price pressure on those because, you know, people would alternate to soybeans because the corn was too late. And also soybeans are more trade dependent and more corn's more internally consumed. I think there's some negative price pressure on that. So Overall, maybe starches will be elevate higher. Uh, proteins might depress a little bit. But now, every uh, every commodity person is always right at the time that they say that. Right? Yeah, is right. that how that works? Mm-hmm. You know, don't don't. If commodity people are so sur- sure about what they do, they should place their place their options and and, right. <laughs> and place their right. contracts. So, I mean, that's what we're. You know, we actually have money on the line uh, associated with selling our crops. So, I mean, that's kind of the philosophy we're we're taking right now. And I'm sure I'm not alone. I, I think sure. everybody kind of agrees with that. I think when you look at other crops, especially crops going on, we've had some challenges with, with water in areas that don't normally have water right. at all. There's been some late mm-hmm. season rains in California. So might be a way to help with some of the tomato overproduction in the past. But we need to be able to adapt to what those what those situations are. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that as we move forward with what we're looking at with Ag Emerge, we've got some exciting speakers lined up. We're going to be talking a little bit about more can about that. Can I share that. any? Yeah. No, I can't share oh. any. I'm sorry. Oh, no, but can I? Oh, can you? Yes. Well, um, I guess we can let you let a cat out of the Oh, bag, okay. Maybe. Well, right. I don't know. There's several cats that are yeah. already lined up that are pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, we're pretty excited about it. Um, this could be the section of the episode where you just, you know, do the beep and, and block block over me, right? It's very possible. I'm getting looks from uh, other uh-oh, uh-oh, uh, okay. other avenues. I, here, I won't so. say anything then, Kim. No, we'll, we'll save that for another time. It's it's really exciting to hear uh, the people that we do have lined up this year. If you thought last year's team was uh, a rock star team, which I did, this year's team will be equally, if not more, impressive. So I'm really excited about the people we have coming. Yeah. It's going to blow your mind, change your mind, and and really give you a fresh approach to how to approach the future. 
And oh, by the way, it's in the Bay of Monterey in January. So yeah, yeah. We went back to the any. same place. It's uh, you know one of my favorite places. So I'm sorry we make everybody suffer through. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was very painful. <laughs> well, Monty, what's something that you want folks to go away with here today? What What do you want them to have uh, gleaned from what all we've talked about? I having friends in the dairy industry and and in other things. I can remember 2009 in the dairy industry. A friend of mine called it Dairy Armageddon, and it's true. It was it was very, very challenging, and they're going through it again, and a lot of other farmers are going through it again, and I remember in the Central Valley at that time, there were three dairymen that took their lives, and that doesn't solve anything. That only makes it harder for your family. If you think your family's having a hard time now, that only makes it worse. There are numerous resources out there yes. to contact if that is crossed your mind or anything. Get it, get it cleared up. Mm-hmm. We we need every every one of you to stay involved in agriculture and, and yes. solve the problems. That's right. So that I'm always concerned about the the well being mm-hmm. of the farm community. Absolutely. You know, concerned about our soils and and uh, the tests that this did on things. And I hope it wakes people up to realize they need to do something different. We've got a lot of soils that were abused and eroded and a lot of nutrient runoff and those kind of things. And we need to do better. Mm. You've seen it. You need to do better. Make a change. Don't keep doing the same thing and expect something different to happen or wait for the average year to come back. Um, You know, most of the climate models will say that climate volatility is increasing. And, and so the duration of weather events is, is changing. The intensity of weather events are changing. We have to be prepared for that. And I think this is a good wake-up call to be, be ready. And I think w- we need to, to really take this year as, especially, you know, for example, where you're still getting allocated water in California with all the snowpack. I mean, that's going to happen again in the future. I mean, we got to be prepared for less and less water availability. we got to shape our farms. We, we need to have a plan to get there versus wake up and be surprised. And I'm, I'm concerned for, for agriculture and, uh, and, and its farmers. We're at a real, real crossroads, and we, we have to do things differently because what we've done has gotten us to where we are. And if we continue to do that, uh, price volatility, water availability, soil quality are going to continue to deteriorate. Mm -hmm. We have to regenerate. We have to change for the better. We have to diversify our farms. It's it's our responsibility. Generations in the past got us to where we are, and they did stuff different. You know, if you think about your grandfather, great-grandfather, they started out with horses, went to steam all the way to, you know, probably GPS tractor, you know, not GPS tractors, but I mean, you know, advanced tractors and they did stuff differently. And and we need to look at not just keep doing bigger, better, faster of the same thing. We need to look at at, at doing things differently and get the ideas, surround yourself with the people who are willing to to do those things differently so that we can survive financially and, and we can be more resilient as farmers, both resilient in emotional status and in resilient in our soils and resilient in everything that we do and and for those who rely on us for their for their care. Yeah. 
Well, we hope that you found some good information during this discussion. We were just kind of wanting to talk about what all was going on right now. And uh, we do want to encourage you, as Monty said, to be resilient, to seek out help when you need help, to find partners, to come with solutions, to help you put together systems that do build these regenerative practices. It can be an exciting time. And we just want to come alongside you and and help in in whatever way we can. So thank you for joining us today. And uh, we look forward to having you join us for additional Ag Emerge podcasts. Monty, thanks again. Thanks, Kim. It's been great to talk to you today. And and good luck to everybody out there and and learning from this year and and doing things to make the future better and learning from, from what we've been able to see this year. All right. Have a great day.